0: So way, way back in the dawn of time, actually, it was about 1988, if I remember correctly, I ran my first ever city-to-surf run. Well, many cities have city-to-surf runs or beta breakers, sometimes they're called, but this was the run that's held every year in Sydney, Australia. At its peak, this 14K run in Sydney had over 85,000 runners and was named the biggest timed road race on the planet. Think about that. That's about like two New York marathons worth of people all running at the same time. I remember running the first one kilometer and there was kind of a hill. And I turned back at the top of the hill where you could see back all the way to the starting line uh, one kilometer back. There were six lanes of, of roadway for one kilometer filled with people. And many were still waiting one kilometer further back to get to the start. And I was already 1K in, and there were some people who were far, far ahead of me by that time. It was completely awesome. The streets were lined with noisy spectators, all along with bands playing from the roofs of pubs that we were passing on the way. The race is actually a pretty tough course. Uh, There's a lot of hills, including its own Heartbreak Hill. And having run that hill and having run the the sort of real Heartbreak Hill in Boston, I'd say the one in Sydney is about two to three times more difficult. And the finish of this City to Surf Run was at Bondi Beach, the famous Bondi Beach um, in Sydney, which was absolutely spectacular. A pretty, pretty challenging achievement for me. But for our author today, this wasn't nearly enough. He once ran it back to back five times, just joining the last, the last leg the fifth time uh, with us mere mortals who were only running it in one direction. So hi, and welcome to Running Book Reviews podcast, where we review the running books to help you decide if you'd like to read the book for yourself. We also hope listening to us chat about running can keep you motivated about your own running and maybe inspire you to try something new or motivate you to keep on going. My name is Alan with my co-host Liz. We're going to talk today with author David Williams about his book, An Unstoppable Runner.
1: An Unstoppable Runner is the story of David Williams' running journey and life. He starts running in high school, but doesn't continue afterwards. In early adulthood, he starts drinking and smoking. And this habit continued until he realized that he was not very healthy. One day, one of David's colleagues told him to buy a pair of running shoes. And this is how he started running again. David now has over 40 years of running in his legs and some very, very, very long runs. Although he started with the more popular distances in local races, he kept asking himself if he could go further or run longer, which brought him to discover ultra-distance events. In parallel to his running journey, David talks about his life journey, which included some major life events, including a divorce and the death of a child. David shows us how running helped him learn about himself, cope with adversity, and learn to be flexible with his goals. A little bit about the author. David Williams is a longtime runner who still enjoys endurance events today in his 70s. He has done many ultra distance runs of all types in the trails and on the track and has participated in both measured distances and time-based events. Although ultra running is popular today and anyone can find a race close to home, David started in the 80s when you didn't have access to the internet to search and register for races. He learned about events by word of mouth and by doing other events and was not always sure that his registration was received until he got his bib. Another thing that David is as passionate about as running long distances is books, although not related to his first job. David has owned a used bookstore and still scours used bookstores and the internet for running books he doesn't have in his extensive collection. It's only fitting that David is now an author of a running book himself. And we are honoured to have him with us today. So welcome to the podcast, David.
2: Well, thank you. What a generous introduction. Thank you, Liz.
1: And uh, I guess the first question, as always, is uh, how did you decide to write this book?
2: Well, um, I've been, as you said, I've been running for 40 years um, and i would accumulated a a few stories um, in my head. Yeah, so 40 years of thought and it only took two years to write the concept was to um, to tell my story um, waltz and all um, with details some of the with some of the great events that i've entered and um, i wanted to show that i can still be out there having amazing adventures at the age of 74 75 um, so and if i can so can most other people
0: i, I guess haven't mentioned 74 75 in the book you also have other a three letter acronym or TLA as we call them, three letter acronyms uh, for someone who's 74, 75 and still running <laughs> it's an
2: o- an o- an FR. OFR. <laughs> yeah, an old fart runner, yep. <laughs> <laughs> That's me um, and I'll continue to be um, an OFR till the, till the day I, I drop. I've already organized um, on my gravestone to have engraved, um, I'd rather be running
1: Oh, that's fantastic.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's a good epitaph. But um, I called it an an unstoppable runner because over the the years that I have been running, I've had many setbacks, as all runners have minor injuries and injuries. Well, I've had a a few major setbacks um, and the title just wanted to show, I wanted to show that I will battle them each time and I will always be back.
1: Yeah, I think your first... um... Your first battle was actually when you wanted to restart running, um, after, you know, having a few years of, uh, of drinking and smoking, I bet you that wasn't, that wasn't very easy. So how did you go from this kind of lifestyle to really like the opposite end of the spectrum and, and having the lifestyle you have now that revolves around running?
2: Well, the, the lifestyle I had when I lived in Hong Kong, um, wasn't the greatest, um, we we earned big money, but um, um, yeah, I, the, the lifestyle was pretty ugly. I thought, and it wasn't me. Um, and I, I ha- didn't know who the real me was then. I was in, I was thirty, um, and perhaps still searching for who I was. Um, and as you said, somebody talked me into buying a pair of running shoes, and I knew nothing about running, so I put them on with a flashy pair of shorts and. Sprint down the road as fast as I could for as long as I could, uh, <laughs> and um, that soon wore me out completely. I ended up with colds and um, niggling injuries, and it was then that um, I was introduced to a running book, Jim Fix's complete book of running, which I, the, Ooh, I still that's have. a good
0: so one. Much. I remember that being my first ever running book. Yeah, I had a hardback with a red cover.
2: Yeah, I've got it. I've got it right here. I can. <laughs> There it is.
0: That's exactly the oh, one that wow. I have.
2: <laughs> yeah, so I've never let it out of my sight, Alan. Um, but, yeah, so once I'd, once I'd read that, I discovered that um, I didn't need to go fast all the time um, and that I should just work my way up slowly. And um, and I even started to put walks in. And, and all of a sudden, everything changed. My whole attitude towards running changed and even more importantly, it changed my whole attitude to living my life. Yeah. So um, it was a big turning point.
1: I feel like uh, like a lot of people, when they start running, they, they do exactly that they start running and they think that every run has to be faster than the one before. And at first they're super motivated because of course it's easy at the beginning when you're getting, you're just gaining fitness, you'll be faster than the time before or the week before, but eventually you're just worn out. And some people end up just quitting and you picked up a running book and, um, and eventually ran your first marathon in 1982.
0: Yeah. I mean, in our our club, we, we say things like um, every day is not race day. And Hey, why do you keep trying to win the training?
2: (laughs) 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 Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So, yeah. um, uh, You know, I got that, um, that book led me on to run marathons when I, when I arrived in Sydney, I joined the Sydney Striders Running Club, which was a, a huge motivating factor. So, yeah, I ran marathon after marathon. Um, and as you um, tried to break the three hours, um, failed dismally, I got to 308. Um, and then decided that um, the pleasure was actually in running, not in racing. So I, I slowed up and um, ran, ran marathons almost every weekend after that.
0: I mean, let me ask you a little bit about, about about that. It seems like your first real adventures of long distance running were in Sydney, Australia, in the sort of early 1980s, you know, or, or as my children would say, in the olden times. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Pre yeah, computers, yes.
0: Um, well, what was it like? Because, you know, we take so many things for granted in our, our running environment now. Well, and what was it like? running in Sydney Australia what was it like in the 1980s what sort of things inspired you where did you run
2: yeah um, well firstly um, the first day um, I was I started work in Sydney um, I left I left the office at lunchtime to go and get a sandwich and all these people were pouring out of basements um, in running gear heading down to the botanical gardens for an hour's run I was uh, wow, this is, this is the place I need to be. So, um, yeah, so I immediately joined in um, and met, met a lot of people um, that uh, it led me on to um, the Sydney Striders Running Club, um, which uh, who every Sunday would have a, a long a 30-kilometre run around different suburbs, and they'd issue all the, each of us with a map and we'd run in groups. It was a slow, medium and fast group. I started in the in the slow group at the shortest distance and gradually worked my way up but um I was always in awe of the um, of the elite fast group i ne- I never got there um i in um I mentioned in my book that i um, I ran with Bryce Courtney the author um, who, who wrote the power of one um, fantastic book yeah so there were lots of people um, from many walks of life um, that um Ran with, and we talked to about um, about the issues they were facing. And in fact, George Sheehan, the uh, again another author and um, great running philosopher, um, he came to Sydney, and I had I had the the privilege of running a couple of kilometres with him. So yeah, that that was a big big change. But Sydney in the 1980s was a relatively quiet city. You could um, you could cross the roads without standing waiting at the traffic lights for too long. Um, and, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was a, a great place to get, um, motivated to, to run.
0: So you're running, running in the botanical gardens. That's right in the center. If I remember rightly from my experience there, it's right quite near to the Sydney opera house, in fact. So you're yep. sort of, I, I guess the equivalent for New York would be running in central park.
2: Yes. Although central parks a, a, a lot bigger. I, I, yes. <laughs> yeah
0: yeah you have to do a few laps of the botanical yes. gardens yes
1: i think just because your first marathon was in 1982 and being before the internet and uh you know like there's a lot of things we take for granted because i remember uh i did i started running in the 90s in high school um and even i was you know maybe not i maybe didn't know everything that happened in the background. I would show up. um, I had a coach. I would show up. I'd get in someone's van. They drove me to a track. I would go run. And then they drove me home. And that was pretty much it. But like behind the scenes, uh, you know, you have to register for these races. There's no internet. uh, You know, so, so what was it like? Like, how did you find, how did you find events and, uh, how how is the registration process? I think like a lot of us take it for granted, um, and then we can get into the other things that we take for granted, like sports gels, uh, Gatorade at races, which is another thing that you mentioned. Um, maybe you know wasn't wasn't so much um, available in uh, in the eighties.
2: Well, thanks, Liz. You've made me feel really ancient. <laughs> 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 no, the, um yeah registration um you usually you usually manage to find forms at other events so you'd be um, at a fun run and there'd be um, entry forms for those coming up in the next couple of weeks um people that you knew that you ran with said they'd heard they'd heard of a uh, a great event coming up um and would um you telephone or or um, go to the office of the company that was promoting the run um, and pick up a form. Um, Alan, you'll probably remember in the city to serve how, how difficult it was to to register. And you'd um, you'd sit, it was you'd sponsored sit by board. the
0: newspapers, so you get the entry form off the back of the newspaper. Yeah. And then you'd post yeah. it. You'd post it, you know, that snail mail.
2: Yeah, snail mail. And then you'd yeah. sit and mm. wait, wait to, um, for the um, number your running number and um, some pins and uh, um, details of the of where to of where and when to go um, sometimes you have good. to
0: send them an envelope with your with your address on with a stamp on so they could post you back the you know, the stuff
2: yeah i've forgotten that yeah. <laughs> so yes that was that was that was good um, but you know now now I, I really enjoy scanning the internet looking for events that um, that are going to um stir me and um
0: yeah yeah
1: we have it so easy now i mean you know we can uh, yeah
0: you youngsters (laughs) all you have to do is just surf the world wide web thing and just enter everything you want wherever in the world
1: Or you can just be a kid in the nineties and then like your parents do it for you or someone does it for you. It just all happens. And then you just show up somewhere and run.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's interesting, isn't it? Because, because my, um, my, my dad was a very keen sportsman. He was, um, God rest his soul. He was um, really only interested in his own sport. Um, And he, he didn't, whilst he encouraged me, he wouldn't, um, wouldn't really front up to any events to, to watch or, uh, he'd sooner be off doing his own thing so I think think you can see how things have changed since that generation through to the current generation younger mum and dads now spend all day Saturday hauling the kids around to events and um and uh you know we we see them also at um, at marathons now They're on the on the roadside cheering on their their offspring so um yeah things have changed radically
1: yeah, I had, uh, I had a, a, a little bit of each because normally my dad wasn't interested in anything I was doing. Um, I would usually do sports through school and, and I would just, you know, stay after school and come home whenever. Uh, but when I got into running, because my dad had been a runner and was still a runner, then he got overly interested. Um, and he'd follow me to all these races. And he was like one of the only parents. So I was a little, a little embarrassed because, you know, it made me different. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I guess now we can go on to the, the part uh, where, where you mentioned that, you know, during marathons, you might eat a Mars bar.
2: Oh, wow. Wasn't that a different world? Yes. Um, Mars bars, um, snakes. Do you have snakes in Canada? Probably. Like gummy um, snakes. Yeah. Gummy snakes. Yeah. Oh okay. yes.
1: Yeah. Yes. Those are good.
2: Yeah. Those, you know, just, um, just, Really, um, lollies, sweets. Um,
0: just when you uh, mentioned snakes, I thought, wow, he's really gotten into the Australian thing. He's eating snakes. Yeah, yeah I just kill exactly. the snakes with my bare hands and eat them as I run through the trails. Yeah. Gummy yeah, snakes, okay.
2: Yeah, so yeah, but so the sugar hit, um, was, was great to start to start with, but um, within half an hour, you could you get we crash. All know, you, yeah, yeah, you crash, and sometimes in. You know, it's just about when you to hit the wall in a marathon, bang, you're even worse because of the sugar deprivation. So, um, yeah, um, thank goodness things changed and science um, stepped up and we've now got some some great things, the gels and um, power bars and things like that. Plus, plus all the um, electrolyte drinks
0: mm. and, and a huge amount of new knowledge about how to use them effectively. You know, when to take them, how often, et etc. et cetera. Yes. which is, yeah, which yeah, is pretty yeah. good. Um, it shocks me that you, you, you said you ran a three, three or eight marathon. That's really close to three hours. So weren't you like attracted to just go for a three hour marathon or did you have lots of tries on it or before you went to ultras?
1: And we're just curious because we need some tips yeah. to get to, cause we're at like three Oh five. And so we want to see what you would have, what maybe you would have uh, done differently or what you tried?
2: Yeah, well, you, you're, um, you're talking to the wrong person for inspiration, I think. But uh, um, I, I um, got to 308 and I found, found that I was, like you said, desperate to break the three hours. Um, so I started um, more, doing more speed work. I was doing 400-meter um, repeats. Um, I started doing a lot more hill work and um, on my long run on a Sunday was a tempo run. I, I instead of um, taking it easy, I pushed myself hard within two, maybe even three months. I was getting niggling injuries. I was suffering from cold after flu after cold and wasn't feeling good. Um, mm. And I just got talking to a couple of running buddies and um, we they were the same. They'd been trying to push themselves too hard. And we decided, well, look, we, we love running. We love running marathons why don't we do do them at 3 30 three hours 30 minutes and run them whenever we can so we found them um one weekend after another and we just ran marathons not much in between then we just go for a few quiet jogs in the week and um run another marathon but i you know i envy those people that can can break um break three hours and alan you're um um you look at you look, um, if I may say so, a little old to be trying to break three hours. Um, so I I take my hat off to you completely.
0: <laughs> I'm far too old to be trying to break uh, three hours. It's it's kind of a retirement project. Okay, convert retirement into uh, rest, reduce stress, increase training, better nutrition. Better knowledge through these podcasts and can i then convert that into a three-hour marathon the current well, answer is not yet <laughs> <laughs> um, well i'm so gonna have some another people... go in 2022
2: so oh good good because some people retire and take up lawn bowls um <laughs> yeah. you, you, you've, you've retired and taken up 259
0: that that's exactly it yeah yeah, And, good. Uh, good. you know, we'll have some, we'll have some other, our, our, our rule is enjoy the training. And then if you get the result, it's a cherry on the cake rather than, rather than the be all and end all.
2: Yes. Well, in my opinion, it's all about mindset, Alan and Liz, um, you know, self motivation's the key. Uh, and I think if you tell yourself you're not capable of some doing something, your body, your body will um, accept that. Um, where and the opposite is true.
0: Did you ever do the Canberra Marathon?
2: Yes, I did. I I was in the Olympic trial. Wow! Yeah, I waited for that pause. Yeah. Um. So were so were five thousand other people. Yes.
1: <laughs> but that's only five thousand people. That's amazing.
2: Yeah. yeah. Um. The um. I can't remember what year it was. Um. But um. Our, our hero um. Deeks. Yeah. Do you know
0: Robert D. Castello? Robert
2: D. Castello, yeah. He was he was running and we all went down to um to join in and uh, um failed dismally. Well in fact that was my 308 was in the but they okay. they didn't pick me. <laughs>
0: yeah, my marathon PR was set at Can- the Canberra marathon.
1: Ah,
2: it's a, it's a lovely course up to the lake and but it was um too many loops for me. I I yes. um, yeah
1: so if you had to do it again let's say you know you just ran your 308 um and now you're thinking of the three-hour barrier if you had to do it all again what what would you do differently is there anything you'd do differently
2: yes I still do the um the speed work and the hill work but I think I I take the the long runs um a lot a lot more easy yeah and um I think there's still place for temp, tempo runs but um shorter um you know, and you when you get to your 30k long sunday runs they need to be easy in my view
1: maybe easier at least easier than tempo tempo yeah, hard yeah. for 30k <laughs> yeah
2: i didn't um, i didn't have really have much of a brain then i don't think i my brain turned to mush
1: no, I, I, I think, I think actually you probably just, you know, trained like all your training buddies, which is kind of a little bit what we all do. Right. Um,
2: yep. Yep.
0: <laughs> so how did you find it? So, so eventually you decided uh, running slower and more frequently is fun. And I guess that logically leads you to probably ultra runs trail runs or ultra distance, um, but I didn't even know that they did those in the 1980s and ni- 1990s. So how did you find out about those kind of events?
2: Like you say, it was a bit of an underground movement, um, ultra running, um, and again through through people talking, um, I heard there was a, a 50 mile run from a place called Wollongong, south of Sydney, um, up um, up into up to the Sydney Town Hall, um, and it was it was a horrendously hilly. Um, race um, for, on the road, um, but um, crazily, crazily enough, I decided to enter it, um, and then spent the next um, two or three months regretting that. But but eventually, I um, I fronted up um, and stood there next to all these skinny, mean-looking runners, um, and thought, "I'm in the wrong place here. I should, I, I'm I'm an outsider." But um, I wasn't. I was um, I loved it. And I discovered that um, running all day was just the greatest feeling. Um, And as I said, it's 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 mindset. Um, But the solitude being inside my own head, I just loved.
1: So I guess that's that's what got you hooked. And is that still what keeps you going today? Because it seems like, you know, you just got into this ultra distance thing and you just continued and keep on Keep on going.
2: Yep. Keep on keeping on. Um, In my seventies, I got diagnosed with, um, with athlete's heart, um, which is basically um, caused by me running to too many ultramarathons over 40 years, um, which is a strange thing, isn't it? Because I had thought the more you ran, the healthier your heart would be. Mm. But the muscle, the muscle became so enlarged and so strong that it affected its efficiency. So, now I have to watch my heart rate, which um, um, really still annoys me, still upsets me. Um, so I have I, um, I walk for a minute and I run for five, maybe seven minutes and then walk again. Um, and I've learned to I'm learning to accept that. But um, in my head, I'm, I'm still I'm still still a, a nonstop runner.
0: <laughs> you discovered uh galloway's training methods um yes, forced yes. upon you hmm.
2: yes forced upon me yeah but do, actually i was told I, I shouldn't be running at all but um who listens to who listens to meadows yeah. goes.
1: <laughs> i i know that runners you know don't don't like to listen to the don't run um directive from anybody it's like uh you know like when you're injured and your your physio says okay well you got to take two weeks off and you just are adamant about not doing that
2: yes i was i must admit to being guilty to, to all of that <laughs> over the years yeah i'd go and i'd go one of um one of my running colleagues was was actually um a gp a doctor and if we got a an injury the first thing we asked him when we got into his surgery was can i still run and he'd say yes yeah
0: i think uh we've all been there sort of i mean i say jokingly to the guys when i'm running why are you going to the doctors with your problem you know they're only going to tell you to cut down and you're going to ignore them so or stop even and that's unacceptable so but i i guess uh that's bad advice really
2: yes well hopefully people aren't listening to me for advice (laughs)
0: <laughs> I'll listen to you for inspiration. I'll read your book for inspiration, rather than medical advice.
2: <laughs> yes, <laughs> well, I hope so. Um, when I first published this, this book, um, I was absolutely amazed to to get feedback from people that I met in out on runs or at um, or just um, people in the street who've who've read the book um, and received hugely complimentary, positive comments. From non-runners, even people who said they're going to start going to start walking and get themselves healthy again, um, and that to me is the biggest compliment that I've um, been paid.
1: I think that your your journey is really um, it's really great in that I think you can inspire sort of you know just anybody because uh, oftentimes. You know, somebody like me, uh, I'll go to work and, you know, people will see me, you know, run to work, which is kind of a bit crazy for most people. Um, And they just figure like I'm just the crazy runner. And sometimes they'll say, oh, I wish I could run. And then I'll try and convince them that they can, but they don't really believe me because, because, for them. Like I've never been like them. I'm, but you, you have, you've been there and your story, you know, you, you tell your story about how you um, you know, you were drinking and smoking. It was a complete opposite lifestyle to what you became later. And I find that that can, you know, that can sort of bridge the gap for most people.
0: People who don't run or don't have a lifestyle can identify better with that rather than looking at mm-hmm. people who are the finished article and going well, I can't be that. Well, no, you can't be like tomorrow, Mm-mm.
1: but you can you can't be. Eventually,
2: it will happen. It will happen. I mean, I, I fell. I fell in love with running. Um, the book is tells running stories, but it's really um, hopefully motivating people for uh, the cycle, the walk, um, that go to the gym to motivate themselves to get fit. As I said, I fell. I fell in love with running, um, and I believe in monogamy. Um I had a I had a flirt with the gymnasiums and I had a, a short affair with cycling. Um, but in the end, I returned to my love. Um, and look, really, all I want to do is to be out on those trails running. And I, I prefer it on my own. I like my own solitude. I like solitude. Sorry. And um, yeah, um, I, lis- I listen to podcasts occasionally when, um, when I'm on a really long run. But um, yeah, where I live is surrounded by the most beautiful bush tracks.
0: Will you give me a good entry there because um, you are you actually live in a place um, that I I didn't know about and I've never met anyone who who's lived in this place, uh, a place called Flinders Island. Where on earth, where in the world is Flinders Island, and what caused you to end up living there, David?
2: Well, it's, um, it's in the middle of the wild, wild Bass Straits between mainland Australia and Tasmania to the south. Um, it's the same size as Singapore in area. Um, so it's it, small. Um, yeah, but um, small. But um, Singapore's got five million people. We've got a thousand here there are no traffic lights, there are no roundabouts, there are no halt signs. Everybody waves as they pass you so in it, car. Is it
0: like Crocodile Dundee? You sort of walk down the street and you say hello to everybody and you know everybody by their first name.
2: Correct. Yeah, we know That's everybody. Absolutely by their fantastic.
0: First name. But Isn't hang on, that wonderful. I
2: don't, I don't carry a knife.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, not like that. But you know, uh, one of the things in Crocodile Dundee was he was used to saying hello to everybody because he knew everybody in the town or whatever. Um, yes. And and I've visited small towns in, in Australia where they actually do that. You're walking down the street and people will pass you and they'll say hello. So they'll g'day. say, hi, good day. How are you? How are you doing? And you go, oh, great. And you walk along. You go, that was strange. And then the next person says <laughs> it. And then after a while you go, oh, this is how it works. So then you start saying it <laughs> to other people because everybody's used to seeing uh, the same people all the time.
2: Yes so yeah so that, that's our little island um it's about 40 percent of it is is covered in um bush um, and it's owned by our national park system here um but um it's principally agriculture it, for income we we produce um a lot of um a lot of the the best beef that comes out of tasmania so yeah uh that's that's the main Beef and um, beef and milk-fed lamb are our main products. Um, I don't. I'm a vegetarian, so I don't um, indulge myself in those delights. But yeah, my wife and I, we we decided Sydney was too much for us, and we wanted to, to get out, get out, retire and move somewhere quieter. And we decided an island was the way to go. Um, and we we tried several islands. We visited on holiday. Didn't like them. So we gave up and um came to Flinders Island for a, a couple of days on the ways to somewhere else and um ended up loving it. So um we bought a house and moved here. And that was 20 years ago. Wow. And never regretted um leaving the big smoke. Never, never. It's um it's a, a wonderful place with very caring people. I joined our local council as a community service. Um, 15 years ago um, and and have enjoyed looking after or or not looking after but um, doing the best I can for our our little community we have many issues here that um, on the mainland doesn't uh, apply we have difficulty with our waste disposal systems yeah and fire hazard reductions things like that Um, so council play a very important
0: role that's fantastic so um, have, you, have you run every single trail and every road on the island?
2: I've run every road. Um, in fact, I've run um, twice. I've run the whole length of the island, which is 76 kilometres, with, with a great deal of community support, uh, because I was raising money for Cancer Council uh, or Cure Cancer, um, and um, the local community dug deep into their pockets and um, supported us throughout that those events so that was a, a great deal of pride in doing that but um and I've run most of the trails but um there's probably some out there I've missed but who knows you know it's like they're not they're not really mapped you find them mm-hmm. yes yes <laughs> or, or other people say have you run so and so and you yeah I, I haven't so let's do it next sunday
1: so i guess um because we talked about you raising money for cancer um i guess we should Maybe talk about uh, why you started raising money for cancer. I mean, you did have your own little bout with cancer, but uh, it was one of your your children that you lost to cancer. So uh, maybe you can tell us about about Allison. And uh, in the book, you actually mentioned several times that um, that Allison is is very she was very strong going through treatment. And you think about her sometimes when you're when you're running really long distances and you've hit a hard patch and uh, and you know you just think of, of her and how she would fight through her her cancer journey and um, maybe you can you can let us know what Allison was like and and what you admired about her and what keeps you kind of going in the races when you think about her.
2: Yeah, well, you hear people say that. Um, um... Uh, the others are, are beautiful people. Well, um, excuse me. Uh, uh, Alison was truly beautiful um, to look at. And um, she was so incredibly strong. Um, in She was a, a, a jogger, a walker, um, yoga, uh, sw- swimming. She was intensely keen on being fit um, and worked very hard at it. And the thing she taught me was that you, you know you've got to just suck it up, um, and that's what she did throughout her her battle against cancer. She went through um, all the chemotherapy, um, but came out smiling. Um, and um, she knew she knew the end was coming, but she didn't stop being the strong person she was. And you know when I've been in the middle of a, a or. At the tough end of a long ultra um yeah i i reached down and into into my thoughts and remember how strong she was and um as, and those words suck it up old man um <laughs> would come into my head <laughs> so, yeah <laughs> i'm sorry i i got upset then hmm.
0: well that's okay
1: it just means you know that she was she was truly special yeah
0: and you actually had your own um Tussle with was uh, it bowel cancer?
2: Yes, I had bowel cancer. Yeah, at at the young age of fifty three, wow. um, they said they said, look, you're you're a runner, you're fifty three, and you're a vegetarian. Um, you shouldn't be having this, but um, no, but you, hmm. it, it it just happens to it can happen to anybody um, yeah.
0: anytime. I mean, I mean, if the thing is, you know, all of those good things that you're doing reduce your chances, but they never reduce your chances to zero.
2: That's right. Yes. Yes, exactly. Never to zero.
0: Yeah. of course, they improve your chances of recovery as well because yeah. you're a fit guy.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I hope and I hope to keep that way. Yeah.
0: I guess both of these these things, losing arson and uh, your own experiences, what led you to uh, dedicate the book to raising funds for um, the Cancer Council Tasmania?
2: Yes, indeed. Um, and, and when we see what these organisations do um, to support um, sufferers, and, and we all, every family knows someone or has someone who has battled it, cancer, um, when you see what these organisations do, um, it's uh, it's mind-boggling. And um, if I can support them even a little bit, I'm, I'm very proud to do so. We actually organised a run from... In Tasmania, um, from Launceston to Hobart, um, which are the two, which is the, the northern city, Launceston, down to Hobart, which is the southernmost city in Tasmania, which is two hundred kilometres. So we raised um, thirty thousand Australian dollars um, for Cancer Council then, um, and um, yeah, that was that was that was the most memorable and the most proud I've been. Not just of myself, but of all the people that supported me in that run. So, yeah, it's um, I think like like all runners find that the running community is is a, a generous, caring community and especially trail running. I find the people are absolutely amazing. They'll stop and pick you up even if even if you don't want to be picked up they'll mm-hmm. pick you up <laughs> and drag you to the finish line even yeah, if you just
1: but, wanted to stay at that aid station and have somebody drive you to the end and go yeah. home they won't let you
2: yeah yeah I got to one I got to one aid station and I, I was i'd um, I'd actually um put my back out I'd um I'd got a, um, a like a slip disc and I shouldn't have been doing the run anyway but I got to an aid station and I asked if there was a a doctor present who could give me some painkillers so I could finish <laughs> but um they would yeah there was no doctor available for two hours so I just carried on but um yeah, yeah oh boy you think we do silly things.
1: Yeah. So, uh, with all this long distance running, um, and knowing that, you know, when you were starting up in your marathon journey, there, there wasn't so much knowledge about, uh, about, you know, eating on the run and those kinds of things. Was there a point, like when, when did you figure out how important nutrition is during the run? I mean, was it something that, uh, that you knew right away, like as of the first race, or did you have to find it out the hard way?
2: The hard way, definitely, Liz. Oh. I, um, yeah, um, I listened um, and watched what other people were doing, particularly um, some of the um, the more elite or the elite runners. They were guided by science. I was I was um, ignorant of that science in those days. There, there hadn't been much written. Um, there was, no, of course, no internet to to look it up on. Um, so you just took word of mouth of people that you. You ran with, or um, yeah, or read in the newspaper, basically. But there was not, there was no, um, there were no books written back in the 80s that I was aware of, anyway. Um, but now there's, it's sort of common knowledge, it, and there, there's no secret to it, obviously. Um, it's, uh, but it's something that I learned over the years, and but I still make mistakes. I still pull into an aid station and um, go, wow, look at all that, and I just tuck my <laughs> t- tuck into things. Um, but, that that I've told myself I I shouldn't be having, but um you you, re, you reach for whatever help you can get.
0: So I, I describe it as running in, running. You run in, and, and suddenly there's a buffet laid out. <laughs> yeah, is <laughs> the one beautiful thing of, of ultra running, I think.
2: Yes, it is. Yeah. Well, don't they call it a um um a, a comp- an eating competition with with running thrown in?
0: <laughs> Could be. Um,
2: America has, um, has um, far bigger buffet selections in their ultras than they do in, in Australia or other places I've run. <laughs>
1: yeah, it could yeah. be. It's, it's pretty spectacular because, you know, I haven't done many ultras. I, I, um, I, they kind of intimidate me, even though I've done several marathons, but I'm a little intimidated by the, uh, you know, 100 kilometers, 100 miles. I just, um, I'm just not too sure about the whole running through the night thing. Uh, but I, I did do uh, a, a 50 kilometer trail race. Actually, I think my first introduction was uh, uh, this, we have this race called the MRSQ in Montreal. It's a bit of, um, it's not like a, it's not a race where the the course is closed. It's just sort of a bunch of people start together and you run according to a map that you have to make sure you have, you have to know the route and uh, you end up at the the top of Mount Royal. And along the way, they set up little uh, like tables with a whole bunch of, Food and it was the first time that I had seen during a race like boiled potatoes with salt and uh like mini pancakes and it was just
0: peanut butter and jelly,
1: uh, yeah, sandwiches. I mean, it was uh, it was incredible. I never, you know, I mean. Up until then, it was like, well, you, you had Gatorade and you had gels and then you'd alternate between the two and you just hope that everything works out till the end of the marathon.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, there you go. You've, you've done a 50K. Um, done longer, a 50K. Yeah, yeah longer. Just, it's no more painful. It's just, it's just time on your feet. And it's great. It's great. Those, hour, those hours where you think you think, I can't put one foot in front of the other. But that's only, your, that's only your brain telling you that to protect your body. Your mind is strong and strong minds will get you to put one foot in front of the other and, until you have to stop at the end.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know if I would go, uh, you know, I, we're all going to go um, to this 50 kilometer trail race. Uh, and at this same trail race, it's called the Quebec Mega Trail, the same trail race also has a fifty mile option, and you know they have a few longer ones. I think they might have a, I do don't know 100 if they miles. have hundred miles, maybe. Uh, but but our training partner uh, is doing the fifty mile race, and so I I very briefly kind of thought about it because I, I thought, well, there's somebody else doing it. it We'd be at the starting line at the same time. But, yeah, when I when it was time to sign up, I was too scared. And I thought, no, I 50 kilometers is way long enough for me because I had done it before and it took me 10 hours. So I couldn't imagine doing an extra 30 kilometers. I didn't know how long that would take me. (laughs)
2: Well, the good news, Liz, the good news is that many races allow you to um, to change so that when you get to your 50 K, you can actually say, yeah, I think I'll I think I'll go
0: on to the 50 mile. Yeah. Come
2: on. (laughs) <laughs> D-
0: just do oh, it. How about, me. how
1: about I? How about I think about that? Um.
0: You don't know, Liz. David, Liz, is, Liz would just burn out in terms of using stress energy because she constantly thinks she's going to fall over, and she thinks every tree root is a snake.
2: <laughs> well, we do have that in um, in Australia. We have lots of snakes. Um, I I used to run with my my poor old dog, who's um, who's left us last year. Um, but she, um, she loved the long runs, but um, we'd be down the trail and um, there'd be all these tree roots ahead of me and she'd jump over them and then 10, 10 metres behind, I, I ran 10 metres behind, um, and then the, one of the roots would rear up and raise its head and look at me. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I had to jump over them or throw a stick at the snake to get, to get it out of the way.
1: Yeah, luckily here we don't really have to worry about that. But yeah, I think that that would be pretty scary. So uh, you actually you didn't just do the long ultra runs. You've also tried the the multi day stage races, which uh, which I think are kind of nice because you get to sleep in between in between your runs. But uh, how how does that compare? What do you what do you like about those multi day stage races? What Keeps you coming back because it seems like you've done a lot of them, and uh, and that you keep looking out for other ones to do.
2: Yes, I and I, I intend to keep keep on keeping on. Um, the thing I like is that um, that, like you said, you have a you can do the, these long distances in remote places like the desert, um, and but have a, a rest in between, something good to eat, um, and as I've got older. I found that the, the cutoff times are very friendly, so I don't need to, um, to travel all these distances just to be kicked out at the end of the, fir- at the, end of the first uh, day or the, the first, um, first 20 kilometres. I'm allowed to come back and keep on going. As I said, they're a great event for getting to see such remote places in the world. I fell in love with the um, the Red Centre of Australia. We have one across the Simpson Desert, a 250k race, and another one that I keep doing each year, which is called the Larapinta Trail Race, um, which is up near Alice Springs in the centre of well, Red. They call it the Red Centre because the desert and the rocks are all ancient red sandstones.
0: That's a fantastic experience. uh listening to your chapter seven called heading to the desert i think that was about the simpson desert event yes i was getting goosebumps uh i've been out there i've never run the did you call it the big red run
2: the big red run yes
0: i've never run that run but um i've been out there to um to Alice springs and um uluru Um, so i could conjure it up in my head as as i was reading your book tell us about this simpson desert run us a bit more about it
2: well um the desert it's, it's a it's a strange um phenomenon i actually sort of trained for it on um uh, on our local beaches because i thought um, the soft sand would be the go um there was so little sand in the middle of the desert i was absolutely stunned it was right ro- oh. it was just rocky uh rocky terrain there was salt soft salt pans there were bushes and there were no trees but um uh, huge, these huge sand dunes that we had to run up and down and um but yeah it was it was an amazing place but the the rocky terrain just tore my feet apart um I had horrendous blisters and um in fact one person has such bad a bad blister they um, they use super glue to stick it back on his skin back on so yeah it, everybody suffered badly from blisters on on those five days but um 90 95 of us finished and um thank goodness for the um the, the good cutoffs the long day which was 84 kilometers across all these sand dune after sand dune um that that took that took me 12 hours um and that was a oh wow yeah that was a huge a huge effort um and ha- halfway through that i was of the opinion that i couldn't put one foot in front of the other anymore but owing to the strength of a uh, of a young lady who was running with me, um, we did, we, we, we got there. So um, yeah, <laughs> but the desert, the desert is an amazing, an amazing thing. And um, yeah, I, I, I love, I love those open spaces.
0: There are just no towns at all. There are no, I mean, you started a town called Birdsville, I think. That's right. Birdsville. I assume that's quite a small little place. Yeah. It's just a little settlement. A one pub town. Or something yes like one
2: pub and and, um, and 20 camels
0: <laughs>
1: wow and wh- what is it like to plan for those uh, those kind of runs because uh, you know like you did mention a few times that a lot of them have uh, you have to, you have to bring your own food there's some mandatory gear and then there's a weight limit sometimes about what you can bring
2: yes well that's a great it's a great excuse to um, obsess about it Um, you, they, they do give you a list, a mandatory gear list, and that's a great, a great excuse to spend a bit of money and get some nice stuff for running. Um, and we all love, we all love our gear.
0: Excellent.
2: Mm -hmm. So that, that yeah, yeah. So that was a good opportunity, but then, then eating, that's the other, that's the other big thing of ultra running, as we've said earlier. Um, so you, you search out, um, the different dried, freeze-dried foods that, um, that exist and they're all as bad as each other and a lot of people now um, freeze-dry their own food so or dry their own food I should say um, and make their own meals which is a lot which is a lot better for uh, for taste in the middle of the desert some in fact after two days of that big red run um, I couldn't I couldn't stomach any more of that some um, that food but freeze dried food, so I just had, I was just drinking um, power, power shakes. Um, so that, that, that was my sole, sole source of um, protein. Oh
1: boy, and what about water? Did, do they provide the water or did you have to um, bring a certain amount with you?
2: Yeah, we had to, ca- we had to carry at least three liters, um, but they did uh, provide top up um, aid stations but there was no food at any of those aid stations there was just so,
0: so you are going through this inhospitable uh, terrain um, yes. totally unoccupied by any civilization and you're carrying how much on your back while you're doing this
2: i'd i'd say it's only it's only about 7 or 8 kilo, uh, kilos um only. i suppose a big, bag, a big bag of spuds that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's <laughs> but um, yeah I mean again it's just training in your training you run with you run with packs on and weight and you get used to it and um, it, it does alter your uh, what well, it did it did alter my um, running style and I found that um, just if I use the ultra shuffle method keeping my back straighter and um, head up high it, um, it um, was less of a strain on my back
1: um, I think, uh, at one point you actually hired a coach to help you prepare for one event. And, um, after that event was over, you, uh, got rid of the coach. So, um, I, I was kind of wondering why, like, did, did it, well, first of all, did it, uh, do you feel it helped to have a coach? And, um, if so, well, why'd you get rid of him afterwards? <laughs> well, hang on. <laughs> I think
2: get, getting rid of was was a bit hard.
0: <laughs> Liz is a member uh, of the coaches' union.
2: <laughs> well, I, I um, when I was g- doing the big red run, I thought it would um, it would be a, a big help to me because it was um, a terrain that I didn't know. Um, it was a style of race, because my first um, multi-dayer, um, so I thought a, a coach would help, and he certainly did. Um, and he made me realise a lot of things um, about myself and my running. But um, yeah, um, after, after I'd finished the big red run, I thought, well, look, I, I don't, it's not that I don't need a coach. How do I say this? Because uh, I'm, I'm, I don't pretend to be, um, to be a, um, an expert or, um, or a great deal of um, ability. Um, but I, I just felt that, look, all I want to do. At my age now is to be is to enter the events fin- and run them have fun enjoy being out there in the middle of nowhere and finish uh, that's my um, that's my current philosophy and i don't think many coaches um sort of <laughs> accept that accept that um runners just that's all they want
1: Yeah, because you know, they're, they're there to um, tell you that you need to do all the other stuff like strength training and prehab and rehab and all those other things. So um, yeah, so I I, I can I can kind of understand if you're, if you're not gonna, not gonna want to do all those other extra things that they're telling you to do.
2: That's right. Well, my training, my training now is is just long runs. I I, I don't run for, for anything less than probably an hour and a half, that sort of di- time now. Um, and I do that because I love being out in the middle, in the middle of the bush. So, yeah, um, the, I do a bit of uh, fartlek training um, just to, just to sh- do something a little different in the middle of a run. But, um, yeah, I, it's long, slow distance is my, is, is my cup of tea.
1: Is there anything that uh, that the coach kind of like made you do that you've kept in your in your training, like any any strength yeah. component or or just, I don't know, a nutrition strategy or something like that? Like anything that he had uh, proposed maybe that uh, still benefits today?
2: Yes, um, mostly um, stretching. Um, oh. and I, I, I really dislike stretching and. Um, Um, i don't stretch before i go for a run but um he he insisted that i i did um certain manipulations to my legs (laughs) that um um that i that i know have helped me um over the years so um I, i do stick to that um but he he changed my running form a little um and um that again i i have to sort of focus on on that um on my form in the middle of a, of a long run because there is a tendency to slouch or, um, um, just, yeah, change your gait. Um, so I have to concentrate on that. So that's, that's one of the things I think about when I'm running too.
1: So regardless of like, whether or not y- you want to be a coach a coached, do you recommend that other people uh, take a coach?
2: Oh, yes. Yeah. I mean, a coach is a coach is a wonderful thing. Um, None of us are experts, um, but um, the coach has more knowledge and can um, can correct a lot of faults that you have in your running style, or open your eyes to, like you were saying, to um, proper nutrition, um, to proper training methods if you want to improve your speed or distance. So yeah, oh, a very important thing. And I, I'm, by me not having one, just I hope doesn't <laughs> come across as being hypocritical. <laughs>
1: You said at one point in, in the book that uh, even sometimes when we tell ourselves like what we shouldn't do uh, then, or something that we should never do again or something that we should do, I, we oftentimes forget and then we just end up going around in circles and telling us ourselves telling us ourselves to do it again. I think runners are a little bit like that, but I, I sometimes I wonder why we why we do that. Why are we like that? Why do we keep making the same mistakes, doing the same things?
2: In my in my, my opinion, it's because you're you or my anyway, my brain goes to mush in the middle of a long run. <laughs> um, and I forget all the things that I was meant to remember. <laughs> sometimes including where home is <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think from I think from my perspective, um, if you're into running, what you need to do is wherever your your interest lies and wherever your experience level lies, you need to invest in your learning. And mm-hmm. running book reviews podcast is a good um, resource to help your learning. Plug for us. Um, yeah, absolutely. But, but at some stage in your journey, a coach could be a very good a very good um, source of that learning. Um, But it depends where you are on your journey. When you first start out, you know, trying to do, well, right foot, left foot, right foot, left foot. You need to get to a certain point before probably a coach would help you learning. And probably at the end you go, well, I've done all of these aspects. I just want to do the social aspect of running or do the experience uh, aspect of running. And maybe a coach is not adding value at that point. Mm. And you're probably there at at that latter point.
2: Yeah. Plus, plus, my coach was in Sydney and I, he, um, I, I just got a training schedule he, delivered to me each Sunday, ready for the week. Um, so he, he wasn't sort of there by my side um, one evening a week or anything like that. So um, I guess that sort of made it a bit more difficult.
1: Did it help you not uh, overtrain? because I know that in the book you mentioned uh, a couple of times that you had that tendency to, to sort of overtrain, and then you'd either start getting sick all the time or you'd get injured or something like that happened. So when you were with the coach, did, did he sort of prevent you from doing that or, um, or did you end up just um, running more than he said?
2: No, I, um, he, he introduced sanity into my running for a, for a, 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 a brief few months. <laughs> yes, and now, now I'm back to normal.
0: Yeah, you can't have too much sanity in your running. That's not going to help you. It's counterproductive.
2: Yeah, exactly, exactly.
0: Let, let me change the subject up a little bit. I, I, I notice um, a character, uh, and quite a f- well-known, famous uh, personality, certainly in Australia, that crops up in your book is a guy called Pat Farmer. Very, very famous in Australia, um, ultra running um, personality, but maybe not that well-known in North America where most of our listeners are, or, or Europe. So maybe you could tell us uh, who's Pat Farmer and why it was so important to you in your ultra journey.
2: Of course. There's a, I'm holding up Pat Farmer's book, which you... you
0: Paul to Paul, yeah. One Man, 20 Million Steps. We'll have to put yeah. it on our review list.
2: Mm-hmm. I think you should. Here's a, fri- here's a friend of mine. I, I first came across Pat in a 50-mile race back in the in the 80s, in the dark ages. Pat was probably 16, 17, and he was running 50 miles then. And he's run the, as, as I've just shown you the book, he's run from the North Pole to the South Pole. Wow. Probably came past your door. <laughs> um, he's run across India. They're all... They're all runs to raise money for charities. Um, he's basically given up um, a lot of his life for charitable benefits. So um, yeah, he's, a, um, he's a, an amazing man that um, I admire tremendously. Uh, so he has been, he has been a, a motivator for me, but there's no, no way I'd, I, I would ever have been able to um, emulate his achievements. Um, I just take my hat off to him because he doesn't get injured. He just keeps going.
0: So did you sort of hear about him and be inspired by him and then meet him afterwards or was it the other way around?
2: Um, I ran several races with him and I was totally unknown to Pat. um, And um, we didn't really know each other back then. Um, Our local running club um, have an annual running festival and we all, we always bring down um, well-known speakers and pay them for their, their time. And, um, and look forward to hearing their
0: stories and they, they fly out to Flinders Island.
2: Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, It's great. Yeah. So we pay for the, the travel accommodation and, um, and a speaker's fee, but we invited Pat down and I got to run with him a bit and uh, talk to him a fair bit and um, reminded him of, of our mutual <laughs> races, probably where he was lapping me endlessly, but, <laughs> but um, yeah, we got to know each other and um Pat was amazing. We paid, I think it was something like five thousand dollar fee for his speaking that that weekend. Um, he just gave the check back to us and said, "No, um, I, I admire what what um, your running group does. Um, I, I'd like to be an ambassador for your event. Um, I don't need money. Thank you." Um,
0: My goodness, incredible.
2: Yeah, yeah, amazing, amazing man. And I think, I think, yeah, um, just on the side. I think you'd um, you'd really enjoy talking to Pat. He's He's been a politician here in our federal government. Yeah, so he's, a, uh, he's an amazing person.
0: So we can see from from that why you were inspired by him and why he crops up, um, apart from the fact that he's obviously an Australian.
2: Yes, he is a proud Australian. Yep.
0: I, I had Pat Farmer and his books, his book or his books to the list. Mm-hmm. We'll need to get to that next year sometime.
1: Yes, we will.
2: If you want if you want to his contact details, please let me know by email.
0: Okay, that's great.
1: That'd be great. Um, yeah, so I guess uh, we we kind of found a kindred spirit because um, you like running books uh, as much as as much as we do. And yep. you actually mentioned several titles uh, throughout your book. Why don't you tell us which ones maybe influenced you the most or that you've gone back to the most? Um, uh, We already know about um, Jim Fix's book.
2: Yeah. um, I guess the one I I read most often over and over um, is probably the one that everybody does, and that's um, Dean Kanas' first book, Ultramarathon Man. I find that quite inspirational, um, the the way he writes, um, makes me want to get out there and run through the night and eat pizzas. Um. (laughs) (laughs) But but the most interesting book I found was um, Jewel in the Sun, which was um, about the the Boston Marathon with Salazar and um, my brain's gone to mush now. Um, But uh, it it was the most interesting book about how two, two men's lives were utterly changed by running a marathon. That I would highly recommend to anybody that's um, that's looking for a, an interesting read rather than something that's motivational.
0: My brain's gone to mush as well in terms of who the second person is who ran with Salazar. The with Beardsley.
2: Yeah, his name is Beardsley. And he turned to um, Petty Crime. Dick Beardsley. It was amazing. Amazing book.
1: Yeah, I know um, Alberto Salazar's... Life changed with the marathon, but I, I don't know that story. I haven't read that book, so we gotta ah. put that on the list too.
0: Yeah, good. We good. know pl- we know plenty about Alberta Salazar because we covered um the Nike the Nike story, um win at all costs, um yes. with Matt with Matt Hart. We spoke with Matt Hart about about that fantastic expose. And in fact, yeah. we, we have a tendency not to buy or use Nike stuff since since we read that book. We've become a little I totally bit afford you. anti-Nike.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I I totally agree. I what what they um the way they operate um is uh, shouldn't be supported.
0: Although their shoes are their performance shoes are very good.
2: I don't know. I stick to hokers.
0: <laughs> oh, you're a hoker yeah. fan.
2: Yeah, oh yes.
0: I ran a multi-stage, probably my claim to fame in my in terms of life experiences. I ran a multi-stage race in the Himalayas called the Manaslu Trail Race. Yes, I, yeah, I know it. If anyone um, is looking for an extreme adventure in in controlled in a controlled manner, but um, no luxuries and uh, um, no cars and no roads. And, um,
1: and now we're going to have to apologize to Dale, your wife for putting that <laughs> seed into your brain. Yeah. That's now a fanti-
0: anyway, that's a fantastic event. But yeah. while I was reading your book, um, I, I uh, got fascinated by your multi-stage ultra in Cambodia. Yes. And I was wondering if you could tell us about your experience in Cambodia.
2: Well, firstly, um, the people were absolutely um, incredible. Um, the local people, the villages all turned out as we ran through them. To wave and shout hello goodbye, we ran across paddy fields around the the surrounding banks of a paddy field, and we got invited into the paddy field to to help them cut their rice up and scythe using a scythe. So that was that was wonderful. The heat and humidity were quite oppressive, especially the the jungle day, which was again an eighty odd kilometer day. Through jungle, um, that um, that really took its toll. Uh, but it, we were sort of um, calf deep in mud, um, lost our shoes and had to dig them out, and that, that sort of. <laughs> 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 but um, no, it was it, again, it was amazing, and we slept in some of the ancient temples. Uh, we camped in the, the temples, and that was great. And we finished at the um, at Angkor Wat, which is the the, the biggest um, of their temples, um, which is uh, uh, an amazing place, uh, it was uh, it was a, a mind blowing event. Um, but I know what you mean about Manasslu because I actually registered for it, um, oh. but I had Ooh. I had to I had to pull out because I had pneumonia. Ah. So, and uh, what year did you do that, Alan?
0: I think it was two thousand and eighteen.
2: You didn't meet a man called Will Cox? No. No. No, okay, a friend of mine ran oh, Will Cox ran
0: it. I could be pretty sure he wasn't there because there, there are 50 runners and you, you get to know almost everybody by the time you've finished.
2: Fantastic. But isn't that good when you, it was the same at um, in Cambodia.
0: I'm still in touch with people, you know, three, four years later, I'm still in touch with quite a few people from that event. Yeah. Because you bond like a family. In, well, your, in, in your adversity, you sort yeah. of bond, bond together
2: yeah and you are a family and that that sort of carries on for the rest of your life yeah i totally i totally understand
0: and it seemed that it was during your was it during your cambodia race that everybody got their running shoes stolen yes mm-hmm. there's only
2: only one person um oh. got their got their shoes stolen but uh yeah we were staying in a village hall yeah we uh we woke up in the morning and found found a pair of running shoes had gone astray. I mean, these people, these little villages are full of people with nothing. They they own a pair of shorts and a t-shirt and a pair of flip-flop thongs, um, and that's that's their clothing. They see they see um, us runners appear with two hundred dollar pair of shoes, and they desire them. And I can understand that. Yeah yeah so but we got them we got the person's running shoes back but we had to we had to give them money um that's fair enough
0: yeah sure yeah you just triggered a memory from me and in in nepal um when we were running the the trails we were supposed to follow the course that was marked you know and it's it's pretty wild it was marked with ribbons with little uh colored ribbons but the villagers would come out and collect all the ribbons because you know they could use those and they were quite valuable to them so, yeah. so you'd run out there were no markings and then you'd you'd run for a you'd run for a kilometer through some bush trail and go I haven't seen any markings. I'm completely lost. I like, will have to turn back. And then you come across, you know, a village, a little old woman, she's holding about 50 ribbons in her hand. <laughs> you go, oh, I guess we're going the right way.
2: <laughs> yeah, we, we had that in Cambodia. We, um, it was, we'd see the kids running around with, with pink ribbons in their hair. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, and you were like, oh, no, hang on. (laughs) You could have just kept those there for, like, maybe another few hours.
2: (laughs) Yep, yep.
1: (laughs) I guess Uh, on the upside, the race organizer doesn't have to go take them all down.
0: That's right, yeah, yeah. No, they're just gifted.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: (laughs) Oh, dear. Yeah, it was good fun.
1: Like, what words of advice would you have for runners thinking about uh, doing their first ultra distance or their first stage event?
2: Well, firstly, as I said a lot, um, earlier on, it's it's all in the mind. It's um, as long as as long as you don't race off too too fast at the beginning and and walk the hills. Um, I think you, you, me, anybody is capable of running an ultra marathon. Um, but we do obviously need to train. But um, it's just it's time on your feet, um, and don't don't listen to your brain telling you that you have to stop because your mind. Needs to be strong, and um, a strong mind will get you through to the finish. And of course, once you've finished, you are so elated that the pain means nothing, and you start looking the very next day for your next event. And that's, <laughs> and I, I can guarantee that's what will happen to you.
0: And that's the point that you realise that you've passed into another world.
2: <laughs> yes, yeah, a sub, a yeah, subterranean world. <laughs> um yeah um you know people people don't sort of realize the the normal the normal everyday world um doesn't doesn't see you get up at four or five in the morning and go off for your long runs and uh, yeah they don't realize that this this life exists i don't think
1: they sort of wonder like why you know you never you never go out uh for drinks after after work and those kinds of things and um, it's because, in a way, you lead kind of a double life. You know, so it's almost yeah. like you lead—lead. Lead you know, you have your work life and with your work friends, and then you have to—you know—you you go home and you have a completely different life.
2: Yeah, two lots of friends. Yeah, the the non-running friends don't understand. So
0: <laughs> yeah, you can't yeah. talk to them about it because they go all blank and glaze over after uh, three <laughs> minutes and yes. uh, you're running friends, you can't talk about anything else. That's, that's weird.
2: <laughs> yeah, very true.
0: So in terms of, um, you know, people getting a copy of your book, we've said before that uh, all proceeds go to uh, Cancer Council Tasmania. How would you like people to access a copy of your book?
2: Well, thank you. Um, firstly, um, it's available through Amazon, Booktopia, book depository those sort of online um, stores but if anybody if anybody would like me to to sign a copy or um, write a message for as a gift um, they can contact me and I'll mail it out to them personally um, on flinders.runner at hotmail.com and um, yeah I'd be delighted to um, to hear from anybody in point of fact um, if I if if I sell the book directly, um, more money goes to the um, to the chosen charity.
0: Okay, so a double win. Yes, better charitable uh, hit, and you get a personalized copy. <laughs> so,
2: yeah, it'll reduce the value of the book, obviously. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's been disfigured by David Williams, the author. So. Yes. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so so if it's okay with you, I would I could put that in the. Um in the show notes that, the uh, the email where they can contact you to get a signed copy.
2: Yes, please. Liz, thank you very much.
1: Great. And, uh, if people want to follow you and see what you're up to and what your next race is, is there a place for them to do that?
2: Yes. I'm, I'm on Facebook as the rest of the world is, um, just David Williams. Um, they probably, uh, see Flinders Island as, as there are so many David Williams in the world. Um, yeah. Um, I'd be happy to hear from anybody um, and talk, talk, talk running, especially um, ultra running. Um, So please, yeah, everybody feel free to, to get in
1: touch. And I think uh, despite what you said about, um, you know, not having, not having uh, many recommendations that we should follow, I think that, uh, that you do, you would probably be a fountain of, of, um, (laughs) of, at the very advice. least you
0: would have recommendations for books to read about it if you didn't yeah, absolutely yeah,
1: yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah happy to talk running anytime thank you
0: what i would say about uh, the book it's a great little story that's inspiring and, and touches very clearly the passion that we all have for running the book's actually quite humble doesn't dwell on some of the difficult personal challenges and experiences that you clearly had david for me it brought back great memories of my time living in Australia but around the same same time that you were there in fact and maybe we if we checked we would find out that we actually ran in some races together without realizing the the there's a little section with some photographs and uh, there are some references in the back which i think are fantastic additions to the book you know we've mentioned about the proceeds going to the cancer council tasmania to help suffer us so i would encourage people to to buy the book it doesn't cost you very much and you're doing doing donating for a good cause. Yeah. David David himself has had bowel cancer and, and lost his daughter Allison at the age of 28. If I look back on my, I have three, I have three girls and their average age is 28. And if I thought about losing one of my daughters at that age, I mean, they're in the height of their beauty. Um, it's just t- totally devastating. you know. And I thank you for uh, sharing your experience a, a little bit there. It's, it's a very hard thing to do, I think, and uh, you're doing it for a good cause. And I you know, personally thank you, um, heartfelt thanks for your mention. Even though you don't go into it too much in your book, clearly a difficult thing to experience and talk about.
1: Thank you. So I thought this book uh, was a great story about a lifetime of running. And David also adds in some details of his non-running life, uh, work, family, health, so that we realize that it's not always easy to make time for running, but it, it is always worthwhile. I like that David is able to look back on his years of running with fond memories, even though he didn't have podium finishes or prize money, which is what our society usually uses as a measure of worth. I liked learning about the way people found out about races that were outside their neighborhoods through word of mouth or attending other races uh, we definitely have it easy today with the internet, so that was uh, that was eye opening, um, and it was great to see that uh, that even back then, you know, people would do races all over the place, and but it was by word of mouth. It just it had the same effect as the internet. I liked the last section of the book where David outlines all his favorites, so his favorite books, his favorite running stores near him. Um, I skipped over the favorite beers, uh, but I think Alan probably liked that edition. I, I don't, I don't drink beer. So, um and, and there we go. Alan showing his beer.
2: <laughs> Excellent.
1: So great read.
0: Yeah. The Welcome. beer, the beer I just drank while we were having the podcast was um, <laughs> a beer from the local LaBrosse brewery. I'll Ooh. give them a mention and they might give me some freebies. You never know. <laughs> uh, the beer is actually called, it's an English bitter, but it's called bitter Ooh. Englishman. And I, I, I often say they named it after me because i um, A bitter Englishman.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that sounds a lovely beer. I'd like, I'd like that. So, look, thank you so much for such generous words. Um, Yeah, that's uh, that moved me a bit. So, thank you.
0: Cheers, David. Um, We'll just thank you for your time and 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 just do our outro words. Thank you for listening to another episode of Running Book Reviews. A big thank you today to David Williams for providing a review copy of his book and spending uh, extensive time with us early in the morning uh, Australia time um, on the podcast today. If you'd like to leave us feedback about how we can improve the podcast or want to suggest a book that you'd like us to review in future episodes, please leave us a comment on social media. We are Running Book Reviews on Facebook and Instagram. And on Twitter, we are reviews underscore running. Please also follow us on social media to find out about new episodes when they are released, or you can just subscribe to the podcast on your favorite streaming platform. That's all for us. Bye for now.
1: Bye for now.